Welcome back, beautiful people, to another episode of the Pack Leader Mentality Podcast. We are excited today because what are we doing today? Q&A. Q&A day, baby. <laughs> all right. Yeah, this is, it's a nice, chill, relaxed day. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I got the seat all the way down and I'm lounging back. I got the baseball cap on. Ready um, to go. I'm chilling. I'm ready to answer some questions. Yeah, I, I, I know I've said this before, but I love Q&A because it's an opportunity to answer these questions, you mm -hmm. know, and, and um, give people some perspective of maybe what they're, you know, what their challenges are when it comes to training. So yeah. without further ado, let's go. Um, the first question, actually two different people asked pretty much the same question. Um, so here goes. How can I stop our dogs from barking at every person or dog that walks by our house? And then the second question also asked about the car. Okay. Barking in the car as well. The first thing I would suggest is, is there any way that you can manage the dog's access visibly to see what's outside because like blinds or yeah because that sounds like an issue yeah like blind or the blinds being open um you know the front door some people leave like our neighbor does that they leave the front door open and the dog is always at the door barking and clearly they don't care so whatever but uh but you know the idea here is if you're in another room and let's say you've been practicing getting your dog to stop if you're not supervising them, then they're going to be able to practice it anyway. So number one is you have to be able to manage it to a degree. Uh, the second thing is, is generally, you know, one quick correction that I would implement is as soon as it starts, uh, I would make a loud clap, say enough, right? Use a, some sort of a sound or a word and then go over to them in front of that door or in front of that window and cut them off and make them get out of there, make them go away. And the other thing too that you wanna consider is if you can have anyone help you by walking in front of your house so that you can create this scenario in a way that you can control what's ha when it's gonna happen so you know when it's gonna happen and then you can address it more effectively. The most difficult part is the fact that you might get caught off guard, which is why I mentioned in the beginning, having good management. Um, I'm never opposed to a bark collar when it comes to excessive barking. However, I always like to kind of add a little caveat to that and say, if your dog is really reacting out of a strong fear response, then I would be very hesitant and reluctant and recommend against using a bark collar. Um, generally speaking though, you know, most dogs can handle that. It's really effective in the sense that the correction happens as soon as the dog barks, the timing is good. The consistency is good. You've got to get a good brand though. If you're going to go the route of a bark collar, you have to get, um, the, the educator technologies brand or the dog trip brand. One of those two, personally, I use the educator technologies. Uh, I like their LCD screen that gives me a correction counter. I like the fact that it has different settings where I can manage the uh, intensity level as well as the sensitivity level of the vibration sensor. But if, um, if you're just trying to use good old fashioned body language and good management, then 100% you gotta take action as soon as that dog starts barking, make them go away. Uh, and then whenever possible, have somebody help you so that you can recreate the scenario and do your best to manage the dog so that they're not able to bark all the time when you're not around. Gotcha. Bam. Now, would you recommend um, maybe having the dog on a leash so that when that happens, 
if let's say because there are some people mm-hmm. you know their homes are set up where the couch is like up against the window yeah. so the dog jumps on the on the couch to get out into the window yeah. and watch i definitely would not be opposed to having a leash on a dog and uh just, i think you might be able to get away with not using it if that was like the only thing that you're dealing with which is why i didn't really mention it but good good call on uh adding that to the mix uh yeah i think it'd be a great idea you know you couldn't go wrong by adding a leash just where you had good physical control over the dog so that if they didn't get out of the way or, you know, get out of that area like you asked them to, then you could use the leash by grabbing it and making sure that they go. Uh, Another way to kind of frame that too, now that I think about it, is occupying that space. So a lot of times the mentality from the dog is like from that window or door, you know, they're, they're stay in their business, you know, they're big and bad and tough and trying to make everybody go away. And so you're job is to cut them off which is why i said that earlier specifically cutting them off and occupying that space and shooing them away making them get out of there period every time as fast as you possibly can at the onset of that barking um i actually want to add a question to that sure now let's say this is my situation right and i do a great job of managing it when i'm home but when i'm not home that behavior continues is that setting me potentially back uh possible but what might happen if you're being consistent is your dog just won't do it when you're there i see you know which is why a bark collar would be because it's always inconsistent yeah so side note one other thing that i would recommend but this might be a little bit more advanced for you if your dogs are like better behaved and you do a good job at creating a habit of controlling that situation because I do this with Brooklyn and Logan. So sometimes, you know, they'll hear a noise uh, and they'll bark. And so I just kind of praise them and I'm like, all right, good boy, good girl. And then I encourage them to come to me and then they come to me and I pet them and I'm like, all right, you're free. And so that's our like little pattern. It's basically my way of saying, Hey, thanks for barking. Thanks for letting me know they're here. Mm-hmm. Everything is good. Go lay down, you know? But again, that's more because of our relationship. So I wouldn't, that, that would be a great goal for somebody to have because to a degree, most people would want the dog to bark a little bit if there was a noise or somebody maybe being creepy standing just out in front of your house. Yeah, just not, not nonstop. Yeah. yeah. And also think of it from the dog's perspective, not to cut you off, but you know, when every time they bark and somebody goes away for them, it's working. Yeah. They're, you oh, know, so cool. yeah. And that's again, going back to the management uh, suggestion is that's why you have to do a good job managing them because in their mind, barking makes this weirdo keep walking down the street, even though it's the mailman who's doing his job, you know, they don't understand that. So for them, the more that they bark at this person, you know, the faster that they go away or for them, they just continue to do it until they go away because that's when the problem is solved. And what you're trying to help them understand by stepping in is we do not need you to make the problem go away. There is no problem. You need to go away, you know, and manage them so that they don't get to practice that on the side. Now, would that uh, still apply for um, in the car? Uh, That's a little bit of a different situation, you know? Yeah, in the car, no, I would say the reality is, is that in the car, from my experience, because of the situation, meaning it's a little bit more dangerous if you are trying to physically manage the dog, if the dog's being chaotic, I've, I've had clients that their dogs are bouncing from the back seat to the front seat wow. and they're driving. Uh, and yeah, for me, this is like number one management, right? So let's put, uh, let's connect the dog to the back seat. 
maybe put a crate a crate exactly yeah so those are some options i start with right off the bat if that's how serious it is for the the person who asked asked the question or anyone else listening for that matter but um I've, i've tried a couple of different things and you know and let me just say too that there's always in my book room for rewarding the dog for like non-reactivity you know and i haven't mentioned that with the house um but that's definitely something that i would encourage people to do as well you know like if somebody walks by and the dog doesn't park praise them and reward them at the very least pet them and praise them and make it acknowledged uh same thing in the car again a little bit more difficult though because your attention is on driving yeah and i think that's real that's a big factor so one i've had clients park at let's say a a nearby park or even a grocery store because we know that there's going to be a lot of foot traffic of people walking around and practice there and that's a really good way to acclimate the dog to being in the car and not barking so that's one one way to do it obviously there's not much you can do when you're driving if it's an issue when you're driving or you know you've rewarded your dog as much as possible for non-reactivity Personally, for me, again, I'm going to go back to a bark collar because it's a really easy way to to solve the problem. And I just want to be clear by using the term easy. I'm not talking about like cheating. You know, it's it's it is what it is. The fact that the bark collar is able to deliver a meaningful correction on time and with consistency is the most important part. And because you're not able to do that as a person then this is why the training tool is so effective and why I call it easy. Especially when you're driving, like how are you supposed to steer the wheel and correct the dog, let's say with the leash as it's happening, you might correct them, but it's too late. Yeah. Into the, you know, and then you're just randomly correcting them. It throws your, throws your, your control over the car. Yeah. Especially not to mention the hazard that comes with it. Yeah. I mean, I, and I've had a couple of clients that we've used e-collars because for whatever reasons it was it made more sense for them to use the e-collar because they were using it maybe for other things but that's another option too for either scenario but keep in mind the difference between the bark collar and an e-collar is that an e-collar you control so you are the one that's responsible for good timing and consistency mm-hmm. the bark collar is automatic so it either hears the barking or senses the barking through the vibration sensor and then it gives a correction again on time and consistently so that's why I would more than likely recommend the bark collar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen it work for so many dogs. It works like really well. It, it's like within minutes, the, the dog is like, oh, I get it. I know exactly why I'm getting corrected. So, but again, you know, this is a training tool that may not be for everybody. So it's not your only option, but I feel like it's the best. And the, aside from that, you know, we've had a couple of friends reach out about dogs that were reactive. They have, and this may sound way off the wall, but uh, they have, I forget the exact name of them. Oh, they're blinders, basically, where you can put uh, blinders over the dog's eyes. And this is actually something that like vet offices may use if you have a really, really sensitive or reactive dog. Uh, So this is potentially an option, too. Like if you're if you're the kind of person like, hey, I'm never going to put a bark collar on my dog. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. I, I respect that. So put blinders on them so they can't see anything. You know, maybe you don't vibe with that. And. Yeah, I guess you have to pick your poison when it yeah. comes to this stuff. I'm um, just kind of really quick going back to bark collars or e-collars. I know that you always recommend putting the collar on the dog and off mm-hmm. and have them wear it mm-hmm. during the day just to get used to the collar yep. and not connect the dots of like, okay, yep. when I wear this collar, this that's is what when happens. I get yeah. yeah. 
just wanted to add that in there. Yeah. Well, definitely uh, a great practice, you know, getting the dog acclimated to wearing it prior to actually using it. But in all honesty, I'd be lying if I said I never put a bark or e-collar on a dog and used it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Especially in like training sessions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Since we're talking about corrective tools, I'm going to go jump into our next question. And that is, when is a good time to introduce a prong collar to a puppy? Yeah, if I had to put a minimum age, I would say three months. So 12 weeks, you know, because honestly, at that point, you really start to see a lot of the dog's personality. And, you know, actually not that long ago, I was with a client in Home Depot. And when we when I first met them for the consultation, I recommended like a slip lead and I never talked. I told them, like, don't use a prong. At least in that time, because, you know, the puppy was just new and he was getting to know everything. And then we went to Home Depot and he was doing pretty good. Uh, But there was a couple of situations where he there was just no he could care less about the food. He saw another dog in Home Depot and he was just so adamant. He was determined to get to that dog and not in an aggressive way, but he just wanted to go. And he's a Rottweiler, right? So this dog, we already know, is going to be anywhere from 80 to 120 pounds. And the way that he was pulling and the way that he was just didn't care about, you know, choking and the mm-hmm. pressure on his trachea, uh, I said, hey, you know what? We need to put him on a prong. And she was like, oh, I didn't know if that was okay. And I was like, oh, absolutely. It's for just, him and for his yeah, situation. Yeah, based on what I'm seeing now, 100%, yeah. you know, he definitely needs that. And it helped a lot. We put him on a prong and it was a night and day difference, you know, and again, gentle handling, still reinforcing, or excuse me, still reinforcing with food and praise and fun and play. But absolutely, the prong collar was a huge benefit for him and for the owner for that matter. Correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like um, it would make more sense for some of these larger breeds, these strong breeds. More yeah. Than, you know, your Shih Tzu or... Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would say generally, yes, but in reality, it doesn't matter the breed for me, you know. We've had a couple of, like, tiny little Yorkies in our class that... But they weren't puppies. They, were they like weren't, but still, two, we're talking months, about, like, the determined. size of the dog, you know, yeah. because I think that that's what... When people think puppy, they're really referring to a tiny little dog, at least generally from what I can gather. It's not really about an age. It's about... Yes, that's a part of it, but it's a tiny little thing. It's a puppy, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't really think that that is much of a factor in terms of what the dog needs, you know? So in general speaking, if they're not taking food, they're kind of don't care about anything that you're trying to guide and implement. They're pulling like crazy. That would be a good situation to introduce a prong. Yeah. But I, I think it's important to put in some work, like not some, but put in work with your puppy. Of course. You know, yeah. to, to see where they're at. And I've had clients that I would say could do more. I know that their dog is engaged, you know, and playful and food motivated. And so I would tell them, you know, that using a prong is an option, but I really don't think that you need that because of the how the food drive. motivated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course really important is the fit of that collar yes snug and high up on the neck but here's the thing too it's like i've worked with dogs where the collar slides down the neck so this is like it's a good rule it's a good it's a good thing to know right to have the collar fit at the top of the neck it is not the end of the world if the collar is a little low the problem is when it's really loose and really low 
you know i've had dogs that are kind of in between yeah. so it slides down a bit i'd rather have or it like a little a loose neck, yeah little yeah or hair, a straight neck like exactly yeah. yeah so it slides down and if you try to make it any tighter it's going to be too tight, too tight. Yeah. so it slides down and i all i say is hey try to be mindful of that if you start to feel like the dog's not as responsive it's probably because the collar is sliding down so slide it back up and you might have to do this several times on your walk or in training or whatever throughout the day but yeah so good point about having it high and tight but it uh it it's not the end of the world if it's not you know you can still make do okay what do we got next managing fear anxiety mm. is that a question i think it, yeah i mean that's that's what it said but i think they're just asking of how to, how manage, to manage fear fear anxiety. anxiety i need a lot more information than that people <laughs> i mean so some general tips on how to manage fear uh distance management threshold management so if i have a dog that's afraid of depending on how intense it is and that's another thing to understand like how how intense is it how serious is it sometimes dogs are really as afraid as they are because they've been reinforced for being afraid by their owners uh, some dogs are genuinely terrified of things and that really all plays a factor in how i would answer this question but general tips on managing fear and anxiety based on fear is again distance management threshold management not not making your dog go through anything too traumatizing but i have had dogs where we sort of bring them right to the fire so to speak and they come out great because we're giving them a i would say a healthy dose of stress that they can work through and learn that everything's going to be okay other dogs, you can't do that too. And this is where it gets difficult because how do you, the viewer or the listener, know which is which, you know, which is why it's important to work with somebody who's a professional and knows how to guide you through that. Yeah, because that would, every situation is different. Every dog is yeah. different. What the yeah. fear and anxiety is. is so different. very different. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, one dog comes to mind actually where I handled them completely different. This dog was terrified of stuff. I actually ended up putting the dog on a prong collar because the way that he would run away in a panic, the way that he refused to like step out of the front door. I mean, it was it was bad. And I walked the owners through everything and I said, listen, you know, I'm telling you now, we're going to put some pressure on the dog, but I genuinely believe that he's going to come out of it okay because of the fact that he's never had to face anything, right? He's always been appeased. And so sure enough, we put him on a prong and he tried to run away a couple of times and I, you know, I didn't let him smash into the end of the leash. I sort of gracefully let him hit the end of it and he realized that it was uncomfortable trying to go away from leash pressure. We kind of just let him observe the environment. There were, I remember very vividly, there were a couple of construction workers on the property of where they lived in this um, community. And the dog, when he saw the construction workers, immediately tried to bolt. He couldn't, um, he was not corrected by like verbally. He wasn't like, ah, or no, or anything like that to let the leash and collar do his work. And, Finally, he was able to just, he just stopped trying to run and he just watched them. And 
realize there's nothing he, yeah and it was a really amazing and they couldn't believe it and they were like he's never been this still and and you know i was just really grateful honestly that they had given me and that i should say that they trusted me to put the prong on him because when i said it i knew that they were just kind of like uh so yeah yeah isn't that gonna hurt him and i'm like listen you know it'd be lying to you if i said it's gonna feel good when he pulls into it but we're trying to convince him that there's nothing to be afraid of and there's no doing that with the with like a martingale or a flat collar or a slip leash because he's just choking himself out and it was just non-stop 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 and so with the prong it was uncomfortable you know he didn't like it so he stopped and he was able to just watch so this is why again you know to those of you listening and watching <clears throat> the solutions to every dog's issue especially when it comes to something as deep and intricate as like fear anxiety uh is very complex and it's certainly not a path that i choose for every dog you know putting a prong collar on them for example when they're when we're dealing with fear uh but this is why it's just important to know as much as you can about the history about who your dog is and you know, what really is going on and what are they actually capable of? Because I've met a lot of dogs that appear to be terrified of something. And man, they just needed that little bit of encouragement to uh, express their curiosity. And they turned so quickly. Marina was a good example of that. We had a dog here years ago. Um, she was terrified. You know, her foster had pictures. She was like hiding in the bathroom, wouldn't come out. And I had her here and I would say within like three or four days, she was almost a brand new dog. And then we just continued to build on that. And she was at first deemed like a, a really, really difficult case uh, based on others who had seen her and worked with her. And I'm not saying that to sound boastful, but just that how, again, every dog is different. And that for her, we didn't know she never wore a prong collar. No, it was you a know. gentle introduction to everything. Yeah. So yeah. dealing with it is very, very complex. Mm -hmm. uh, but generally speaking, threshold management, uh, managing distance and encouraging little bits of curiosity and bravery and anything any type of investigation or uh, inquisitive behavior towards something that she might have previously been nervous yeah. around well and i also want to add um back to like the training tool used for you know certain dogs and their anxiety and their fear i know that you always say um you you know sometimes they like red zone right like they see red and they just they don't know yeah. what to do mm -hmm. and you have to match actually and go up a little bit right like to so if they're here you want to go just a little bit above to stop them yeah. and get them to refocus and yeah. for some dogs it might be a slip and for other dogs it might be a prong and some dogs it's a knee collar depending obviously on the situation and the dog and whatnot but i just wanted to add to that because yeah. you always talk about like matching and going slightly above their yeah, for down. sure. Well, it would definitely be for those fearful dogs who have absolutely no hope of snapping out of it on their own. You know, and some again, sometimes they they are like, yeah, they're nervous and they're a little reactive or anxious, but they'll be able to be guided and directed, let's say, with food or a toy. Yeah. You know, and in other dogs, it's just everything goes out the window. Yeah. Because I know that, you know, I've been in multiple situations and multiple cases with you where the dog just redlines and yeah. you do everything you give them. You offer them food, you do, you know, praise, encouragement, coming back to you. I mean, you do everything. And then, you know, you'll use what's considered an adversive tool. And it's literally instantly they switch from that one correction. Yeah. Um, and then now they're taking food. Now they're fine. And, you know, tails up, they're wagging, yeah. they're happy. Um, 
yeah so i, I think it that's pretty cool and interesting too yeah i mean the the behavior aspect combined with like the personalities and then combined with the owners and their living styles is a very very cool thing to sort of play with it's almost like an equalizer you know trying to find that balance yeah gosh it's so complex right there's so much to it um all right next question tips for a stubborn dog she sometimes refuses commands until i am more stern leash 100% 100% leash. Leash, like a regular leash or a tab leash. So just something that hangs off the collar that you can grab onto. But uh, yeah, whenever I'm dealing with a stubborn dog, uh, this is where I use training tools. So rather than relying on... Saying the word 10 times. Saying the word, exactly, yeah. Repeating myself, getting frustrated. Because here's the problem that I would present to you with getting stern, which is why I would recommend avoiding it, is that you, in order to get your dog to listen to you, you're going to have to be stern. You're going to have to use that voice, right? That serious voice where what I'm suggesting is if you say it regularly in your normal voice and then you use the leash and let the leash, you know, get stern for you, then you never have to raise your voice and your dog will learn to take you more seriously based on the first time you ask them to do something because of your follow through because they understand that. So 100% hands down, final answer, leash. Leash. Yeah, leash and then whatever training collar too. If you know you've trained your dog on a training collar that worked for them, let's say outside on a walk, use that at home. And a lot of people are surprised when I suggest that, especially let's say with a prong collar. They're like, oh, I can use this in the house. And I go, yeah, absolutely. It's not a walking collar, it's a training collar. So you don't have to limit yourself to just using it on walks. If you need better control over your dog in the house, use it in the house. Mm -hmm. If you feel like they're not listening to you or taking, um, advantage of you or not listening to you or ignoring you and not taking you seriously in the house absolutely use that yeah just make sure to you know obviously give them a break when they're going yeah. to bed you take put it on in the morning it take it off at night take it off when you're going to leave the house take it off if they're going to be in the crate and then just anytime if you can't manage and supervise exactly them. yeah you know exercise good safety protocols but absolutely if your dog is using a training collar use that too just to manage them because you want to be able to make a habit of having them listen to you that's the whole point so the more that you say something and then follow through if they ignore you then the more that you're being consistent with your message to them that i'm gonna you're gonna hear it from me once and then i'm gonna make you do it and it doesn't mean that you have to have a bad attitude but it just means that you have to follow through so just like kids you know yeah i'm gonna ground you the next time you sneak out of the house but if i never do you're gonna continue sneaking out the house (laughs) All right, next question. Yeah. Fearful dog freaking out on leash and an angel without with same dogs. How to handle leash? So I think the dog is freaking out when it's on leash. Yeah. And when they meet the same dogs and they're off leash, they're not freaking out. Yeah. So look, I'm not saying that your dog isn't fearful, but when it comes to this particular situation, they're not fearful. What you're dealing with is a dog that's throwing a tantrum. So if your dog is meeting these dogs without a leash and they're completely fine and normal and loving life and then they're on a leash and they see those dogs and they're freaking out, yeah, they're throwing a tantrum. They're basically saying, get this effing thing off me. Let's go. I'm ready to go play. I want to go see my friends. Let me off this leash. I hate this thing. It's restricting me. Take me off this leash. Get this thing off me. Why is this leash still on me? I want to see my friends. Right. It's that's what they're if they could speak English, that's exactly what they'd be saying out of their little mouths. So that's your problem. Now, the solution to that is a couple of things. 
if you're let's go from the least aversive approach um, as soon as your dog sees the dogs and she starts freaking out or as i would call it barking and reacting uh then turn around and go the other direction now this is the long way right so i can't tell you how many times you're gonna have to do that you're probably gonna have to do that quite a bit but that would be the correction that's the punishment right so the punishment in that scenario is your dog gets your dog has to go away from the other dogs we'll call them her friends his friends i don't know her friends sounds like a girl <laughs> so well she has to go away from her friends and it's not until she is finally calm and quiet that she can go to see her friends the other option would be to give her a correction tell her to knock it off and that 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 behavior doesn't work now that correction that you give her i mean there's a couple but i mean one you could put a prong collar on the dog uh, that's an option. But again, this is all, you know, information. I'm not hundred percent sure that I would even agree with that if I met your dog. So take it with a grain of salt. But the, again, to just kind of go back to the problem is the fact that your dog, I guarantee you has learned that what you call freaking out is the easiest way to get you to take that leash off. Because once that leash comes off, the problem goes away. So that means that your dog is really just reacting to get what they want. And that's the issue. So you could, again, move them away. That's one way of dealing with it. And that's the, that's the correction. <clears throat> but you're probably going to be there for a long time. You're going to feel very defeated. And I'm, I'm not saying this to discourage you from doing that. I'm just saying in general, most people are going to be like, all right, this is very practical for me. You know what I mean? Because I have to do this so many times whenever my dog sees them. Mm -hmm versus if you give your dog a correction that says hey knock it off and then you also still though require that calmness right and that calm cool collected energy like hey you need to chill wait okay now you can go say hi uh you still have to implement that but the correction would just help you get them to settle a lot faster would you recommend uh for them just not to introduce off leash until they get this behavior under control yeah absolutely I would say like no off-leash meetings should be permitted until it is handled because anytime that they're off-leash and they're meeting people or excuse me, meeting other dogs, then you're actually reinforcing what she believes, which is when she's off-leash, it's like everything is amazing and when she's on-leash, everything sucks. So, but that's definitely what it is. It's, you know, another way to uh, trainers would call it is like barrier frustration leash frustration things like that it's just they're, they're restricted and they don't like it and from their perspective i would say i don't blame them yeah. but in order to handle it it you know you have to put your foot down all right next, last question we are loving the podcast and thank you so much for all of your lessons on instagram and in the podcast the dynamic between the two of you and the podcast is wonderful too here's our podcast question oh thank you that's so oh, sweet. the <laughs> dynamic <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you that's sweet all right here's Thanks. the question though My <laughs> come on let's do that thing where they're like remember it was like on tiktok a long time ago like it sounded like uh like karate and they would do that to the cats and stuff you don't remember that i know i you, don't you know you guys know what i'm don't. talking about this is like 2020 tiktok oh yeah too old for me to remember yeah that's a long time ago <laughs> all right Here's the question. 
My two and a half year old dog walks really well on leash, but tends to position herself just in front of my leg as we walk. I want her to be at my hip or even slightly behind and work constantly on stopping if she moves ahead and bringing her back, changing direction, even putting a physical object in the way as we walk. And it's still a work in progress. Do you have any suggestions on this or do I just need to keep at it? Yeah, I have a suggestion. Um, Stop stopping and having her come back to you. What I would recommend is two things. So I'm going to, I'm just going to make an assumption for the sake of argument uh, and say that she's on your left side. So we're going to operate from there. So she's on your left side. And what I would recommend is practice left hand U-turns. So this is where you're going to, as your dog is on your left side, you pull back on the leash a little bit and then cut them off by turning your left leg into them. It's kind of a tight turn. I would practice that style of U-turn. And then I would also make a point when she starts to get ahead of that spot that you know that you don't want her to get ahead on like your leg i would pull back on the leash and then cut in front of her with my left leg so the idea is that you're using the leash and your leg together in unison to prevent her from crossing in front of your leg or to, you know to getting a front in front of you uh, that would be the best option in terms of physical handling and then the other thing is if you're not using food i recommend it just to encourage the dog to stay in the spot that you want uh, but then reward them when they're in that location and make a point to reward them i would say a decent amount so that you can be very clear about where you want them and if you're using a food bag make sure that your food bag is on the same side that you have your dog on and again in my example on your left side so i'd have that food bag on my left side I would say slightly back. Yeah, right? like seven o'clock, like seven o'clock, right? So just behind your hip and just to the side of your butt. And so this way, if your dog is interested in food, if anything, that th- their head would be there. Um, yeah, between the food rewards and the good handling, I don't think that you need to stop and bring her behind you. I'm not really a fan of that, to be honest, like this stopping and then pulling the dog back. And and the main reason for that is just because I feel like it never works for anybody, you know? And I know that too, that a lot of times people say U-turns don't work, but I also think people do them incorrectly. And just to give you some insight on that, people do arch type of U-turns, like the shape of a U. like the leash is out and then Yeah, and they're like pulling the dog around. Yeah. For me, when I do U-turns, they're more like an about face. So the dog is able to continue to go straight. And then by the time I'm turning around, that leash correction that they feel is in a straight line. And when they turn around, I'm already facing the opposite direction and they have to come sort of in a straight line back to me. And it's the way that I perceive their understanding of it is they are once they get that correction it's kind of like oh crap you know he's going the other way and so they learn to avoid that correction by paying attention to me if i slow down or maybe abruptly stop to make that about face style u-turn but in your case you know in any case honestly stopping and just pulling the dog back doesn't really do much 
I never really saw any person that was like, yeah, I did that, you know, and just like the way that I taught my dog to stop pulling. You just, you're just always doing that, you know, but I digress. <laughs> Going back to your solution, 100% left-handed U-turns, again, so that would be turning into your dog and then using your leg to block them and the leash simultaneously. And one other tip that I would provide you is if the dog is again on your left, you could even wrap the leash around the back of yourself and hold the leash in your right hand and with the leash going around your body. So this way, anytime your dog starts to cross that, that boundary for you, all you have to do holding that leash in your right hand is step back or stop and lean back. And it'll actually give your dog a correction because the leash is going around you. So as soon as they cross that that boundary, boom, they get that quick correction. And that or would like be... like the momentum of your body. Or yeah. Or like from the, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So you just kind of stop or take a quick step back and that'll give them a correction. Because in that case, just to go back to why I'm saying that would be the direct opposite of stopping and then pulling your dog back. Because by the time they get that correction, they've already like gone past you. You know what I'm saying? So... Versus this is almost this like is a instant. Yeah. yeah, it's instant. And it's as soon as they cross that little boundary. So those are the three things that I would work on 100%. Well, four really, if you include the food reward. So the left hand turns, using your leg, using the leash around your back, and then also making sure that you're rewarding them for being in the right location when they are. Bam. And thanks for your nice comments again. Yeah, thank you. That was sweet. That's all the that questions it? I have for today. All right, cool. <laughs> well, I hope you guys learned a lot, and I hope I was able to answer your questions to your satisfaction. Uh, if you all listening have any questions that you want to submit to us, please do. We love questions. This is one of our favorite things about the podcast. So don't forget, you can email us at info at leadyourpacklv.com, uh, and then you can Instagram us in our stories or messages. Uh, our Instagram is at leader of the pack LV. <laughs> yeah. And just make sure you put podcasts in some sort of a sub subject heading yeah. or anything like that. That'll help a lot. Thank you. And also if you guys are dealing with dog problems, guess what? I got a course, the pack leadership seminar course. I filmed the mm -hmm. seminar back in 2022 and talked all about pack leadership, what it is, uh, how to implement it, how to have a great relationship with your dog. We deal with problems like jumping, barking, uh, chewing, digging, counter surfing, garbage rating, how to teach place, how to teach boundaries, and how to have a general overall amazing relationship with your dog that's built on trust and love and respect. So if you guys are interested, I'll leave a link. You can check out more of the course in the description. Uh, if you guys are listening and you want to check it out, you can go to www.lotpk9training.com forward slash links. And there'll be a little box that you can click with my picture with the pack leadership on there. You can check out more there too. And other than that, that's all we got for you guys. Have a beautiful week. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace.